Hello, my name is Emily Fournier, a marketing specialist here at Workplace Options, and today I'm here to talk to you about how employers can better support their female workforce in the face of an ever-changing political climate in which the rights of women are constantly on the table and in which women are still fighting for basic freedoms and equality in the home, the workplace, and beyond. 2022 was, in a word, a complicated year for women's rights, specifically their rights to reproductive and bodily autonomy. While millions of women in Colombia and India celebrated massive achievements in respect to women's right to choose, women in the United States took to the streets to protest the overturning of Roe v. Wade, a Supreme Court ruling that had protected that very same right for nearly half a century. And while the parliaments of Spain and Ukraine took unprecedented legislative action to address and prosecute sexual harassment against women, Agencies like the UN and World Economic Forum sounded the alarm about a silent pandemic that has emerged in the wake of the COVID-19 crisis. That is, the stark rise in gendered violence happening around the world, touching one in every three women. Even in the workplace, 2022 is a mixed bag of triumphs and setbacks for women. While organizations like Liberty Latin America have taken great strides toward cultivating a safe and supportive workplace for women by ramping up their policies on workplace harassment or assault, New findings from the first-ever global survey on experiences of violence and harassment at work reveal that more than one in five employed individuals worldwide are suffering from violence at work, with female workers twice as likely to experience workplace violence compared to their male peers. And for expecting employees, despite recent efforts from prominent organizations like J.P. Morgan to revamp their maternity or parental leave policies, New research shows that nearly four in every five workers still do not have access to a defined paid parental leave benefit. Even worse, just as the U.S. government passes new laws that aim to give pregnant workers better protections and accommodations in the workplace, further research shows that one in every five mothers experiences pregnancy discrimination at work, with the number of annual pregnancy discrimination claims reaching an all-time high according to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Moreover, insights from the latest women, business, and the law report reveal that 20% of the world's economies still do not prohibit the dismissal of pregnant workers in their laws, while up to a quarter still lack any legislation on workplace sexual harassment. Ultimately, however, 2022 was just another year in the centuries-old tradition of world leaders, many if not most of them men, deciding what a woman can or cannot do with her own body and determining how much control she has over it. That said, with International Women's Day just around the corner, Perhaps it would be wise to examine employers' long-standing participation in this tradition, from their wrongful termination of pregnant workers, failure to address sexual harassment in the workplace, to the all-around inadequate support they provide to women to help them balance their health, freedoms, and their career, and what they can do to remediate these historical wrongdoings and cultivate a safe and supportive workplace for their female workers. Hardworking, diligent, conscientious, determined, a strong leader. These have been the attributes assigned to Erin Murphy, a senior employee at financial giant Glencore, by her boss throughout her tenure at the world's largest commodity trading organization. Then she became pregnant, and soon these words of endorsement passed her by, as did the promotions, bonuses, and pay increases that went to her less qualified male peers instead. So what had happened? She'd only been gone on four months of maternity leave, the mandatory minimum set by more than half of the 120 nations meeting ILO standards. She'd arranged for childcare starting at 7 in the morning so that her children would never disrupt a single day of work, lest interfere with her career. More than that, she had not only maintained a strong sense of loyalty to her employer, but a strong job performance as well, striving for future career moves and advancements within Glencore, which she had discussed at length with her boss. 
but for all her hard work, all the efforts made, and successful efforts at that, to balance her maternal responsibilities and career, she was reduced to her child-rearing role. Less committed, less dependable, less authoritative, less than. When she inquired about potential advancement opportunities with her boss, who had deemed her one of his, quote, hardest-working employees just a mere nine months ago, she was met with rebuffs. You're old and having babies, so there's nowhere for you to go, was her boss's terse response. Stories like Miss Murphy's unfortunately aren't rare. Rather, hers is just one of many recorded in a 2019 expose from the New York Times, which chronicles thousands of stories from women who say they were sidelined or discriminated against for their decision to become pregnant. Pregnancy discrimination, defined as when a woman is treated unfairly due to pregnancy, childbirth, or any medical conditions related to childrearing, can come in many different forms, ranging from discriminatory hiring practices to reductions in wages or working hours, changes to duties or losses in development opportunities or promotions, and even wrongful termination. In fact, findings from the Equality and Human Rights Commission suggest that well over 50,000 women across Great Britain alone are dismissed each year as a result of pregnancy discrimination, a figure estimated to be exponentially higher among economies that fail to prohibit the dismissal of expecting workers, including more than half of the economies in the Middle East, North Africa, and South Asia, and nearly half of the economies in East Asia and the Pacific. Moreover, the Commission reports that more than half of all GB-based employers agree that there is oftentimes resentment among employees toward women who are pregnant or on maternity leave, signaling further trouble for working mothers who manage to stay on board with their organizations. This includes stereotyping and intrusive or disparaging remarks from colleagues, or even social isolation. For instance, at a time when Miss Murphy, the only pregnant woman at her office, was visibly showing, her boss made an appearance on the trading floor to balefully announce that the most-read article on the BBC's website was about pregnancy altering women's brains. And when she returned from maternity leave, she was coldly rendered a supply closet to carry out her breastfeeding duties. Once again, her situation isn't unique, as far too many employers are shown to be unwilling to provide reasonable accommodations to their expecting or caregiving workers, placing mothers and their families at significant risk. Research in the U.S., for instance, shows that women are now the primary or co-breadwinners in almost two-thirds of families, meaning that a loss of employment or loss of income as a result of pregnancy discrimination can very well lead to a loss of safety and security from a loss of food and shelter to a loss of health and health care. But despite this, and despite the fact that roughly three-quarters of women entering the workforce will become pregnant in their lifetime, research from the Bipartisan Policy Center indicates that over a quarter of these women will be pushed out of their jobs due to a lack of reasonable accommodations. And among these missing benefits include paid maternity or paternity leave, flexible work schedules, and childcare benefits. In fact, despite its rank as the eighth richest country in the world, the United States was recently ranked last out of 40 countries for paid maternity leave as the only country on the list without mandated paid leave, offering instead a mere 12 weeks of unpaid time off for new mothers. And while the most recent omnibus spending bill signed off on earlier this year includes two laws that aim to improve expecting or nursing workers' access to, quote, reasonable accommodations from their employers, and more critically, reasonable accommodations as determined by the expecting employees and their doctors, having children still disproportionately depresses women's employment and financial prospects, and anything less than monetary support is, simply put, not enough. For one thing, studies show that when women do not have access to paid leave or childcare benefits, they are more likely to work through their entire pregnancy and return to work sooner 
that is, if they take any time off at all after giving birth. This, of course, presents huge health risks for both mother and child, oftentimes resulting in injury, illness, and still or premature births. At other times, because they cannot afford childcare, whether due to unpaid leave or just because of the exorbitant cost of daycare services, some women may be forced to leave the workforce entirely in order to stay home and care for their children. This is an issue that has grown dramatically since the onset of the pandemic, as research from the OECD found that nearly two-thirds of mothers of children under the age of 12 assume the majority or entirety of extra childcare responsibilities brought on by COVID-related disruptions. This translates to women making up nearly 54% of COVID-era job losses, despite only making up roughly 40% of the workforce. Even just this past year, data from the Center for American Progress revealed that, regardless of age or parental status, women were a whopping five to eight times more likely than men to experience a caregiving impact on their employment, defined as either working part-time or not at all as a result of family or house responsibilities and or a lack of childcare. To make matters even worse, the one benefit that women did gain from the pandemic, that is, a flexible work schedule, is beginning to lose its luster, and in some cases, is even starting to be weaponized against them. Although findings from the Center for American Progress showed that close to a million more women were working by the end of 2022 compared to the year prior, largely thanks to hybrid or remote working models that have made it easier for women to balance their increased childcare duties with their job responsibilities, New reports are finding that a considerable number of CEOs are now trying to do away with remote or hybrid work, with prominent organizations like Apple, Google, Twitter, Goldman Sachs, and Disney coaxing, or in Disney's case, forcing, employees to return to the office. And for women who are continuing to work remotely, the benefits to their mental or emotional well-being are minimal, as many experts and gender equality advocates now worry that employers will favor in-office employees who findings indicate are more likely to be men. And to top it all off, not only is their preference to work from home being used against them, but even in the year of 2023, so is their right to bodily autonomy. From women, quote, hiding their desires to be a mother, to their bosses celebrating the overturning of their right to choose, to women's sexual assault or harassment allegations being reduced to whines or complaints or being dismissed as, quote, distortions of what actually happened, Women are constantly being assailed for wanting to have a say in what they do with their own bodies, and as a result, are constantly facing slowdowns in their career progression, as research shows that women are significantly more likely to switch jobs or leave the workforce altogether compared to their male colleagues, with four in every five women who experience sexual harassment starting a new job within two years, one in four women leaving their roles due to pregnancy discrimination, with one in three now considering leaving their employer if action to protect their right to choose is not taken. With all of that said, there has still been considerable progress made in recent times, especially just within the past year. Going into effect at the start of the year was perhaps one of China's most progressive and explicit laws on gender discrimination and sexual harassment against women to date, an amendment to the Republic's Law on the Protection of Women's Rights and Interests enacted 30 years ago. Among the provisions of the revised law include the prohibition of specific discriminatory practices within the recruitment and hiring process, or the reduction of benefits, wages, or opportunities for professional growth within the organization due to circumstances like pregnancy, maternity leave, and breastfeeding. It also forbids sexual harassment of women, whether by means of words, texts, images, or physical acts, a significant step toward expanding what is legally considered sexual harassment in the digital age. Most importantly, the law empowers victims to file lawsuits against their employers 
adding revisions to ensure the protection of claimants' privacy and identity, while at the same time holding employers more accountable for protecting women by establishing a must-do list to prevent and curb discrimination and harassment and creating penalties for violations. And while it's good and necessary that governments are taking more legislative action to protect women's rights, safety, and equality, employers do not have to wait until their governments tell them to do so to take proactive steps against discrimination and harassment in their workplace. In fact, taking the initiative to establish clear and explicit anti-discrimination or anti-sexual harassment policies, or to develop feasible reporting mechanisms and investigative procedures, and to designate a culturally competent and responsible team to handle investigations, is perhaps one of the most surefire ways that employers can signal to their female employees that they are respected and valued by their organizations, and that their employers are committed to protecting their health, safety, and overall well-being. In addition to these policies, however, many experts have underlined the importance of implementing mandatory and routine prevention training. Issues like pregnancy or gender-based discrimination, and verbal, sexual, or any other type of harassment cannot be effectively eliminated without ensuring that all employees are on the same page about what actions, attitudes, and behaviors in the workplace will be tolerated, which will not be, and why. Research even shows that employees feel more engaged, more motivated, and more secure in their role with their organizations after receiving sexual harassment prevention training from a strong and competent HR department. Taking the time to make it known that leaders are aware of what specific workplace behaviors or practices harm their female workers by calling them out during trainings is another way to exhibit empathy and to reassure women that they are in a safe environment at work. A final clause that employers should strive to adopt in their workplace policies is that which guarantees flexible work schedules. There seems to be an overwhelming fear that providing flexible schedules will result in less engaged employees and lower productivity. But as we discuss a lot at WPO, the state of one's health and well-being can have a considerable influence on job performance. If working mothers are stressed about their children, how they are, where they are, who's keeping an eye on them, or who can watch them during the day, they are simply not going to be able to focus while at work and perform as well as they would if they were not experiencing those intrusive and stressful thoughts. By acknowledging that women have families, lives, and responsibilities outside of work, and by providing them with the time and the flexibility needed to take care of these responsibilities in addition to fulfilling their duties at work, is a key way that employers can create a conducive work environment for working mothers. Specifically, one that rejects the notion that having children and being a mother is a detriment to a woman's career and a burden to their employers, and instead helps women thrive both in the home and in the workplace. And these policies may include those that ensure that parents have flex time in order to drop off and pick up their children from school, or those that allow them to work from home if their child is sick, or whatever the circumstance may be. And it should be noted that I say parent because, on theme with the topics of flexibility and enhancing working mothers' career prospects, employers should do their best to acknowledge the cultural shift taking place in which women are becoming the primary or co-breadwinners, and dismantle the stereotype that only women can be homemakers, and ensure that working fathers have the same opportunities to balance their personal and professional responsibilities. And equally important to flexible work schedules are flexible benefits, chief among them being paid parental leave. While paid maternity leave alone is important and can provide mothers with access to critical time with their newborns, in line with the argument driving the push for flexible schedules for all working parents is the fact that a lack of paid leave for fathers can reinforce the stereotype that only women are responsible for family or childcare and exacerbate the current care gap that exists that perpetuates gender inequality in the workplace.
Conveniently enough, studies have shown that providing adequate and flexible paid parental leave benefits can close the gender gap in employment and can even lead to overall boosts in workforce participation. In fact, one recent study found that more than half of unemployed caregivers say that they would be more likely to return to work sooner if their employer offered paid leave, while close to four in five of all working parents said that paid family leave is what's helping them continue to work. More importantly, a recent study comparing organizations that offer paid leave with those who don't found that the former group had significantly higher performance and productivity rates, lower turnover rates, and an all-around stronger market performance. And while access to paid parental leave should be flexible in who it's extended to, it's also important that employees are offered flexibility in how and when they use it. This goes back to the point that women should not feel pressured into going on leaves, or the fact that not all women may want to go on long leaves right after giving birth. Instead, to better accommodate working parents, employers should provide flexible paid time off that allows parents to take a day off work if they need to care for their children, bring them to medical appointments, or even to attend medical appointments of their own. In addition to that, research has shown that the high cost of health and childcare can cause women to delay care and suffer serious financial hardship, once again resulting in serious risks to their health, the health of their children, and further consequences to the workplace. That said, in tandem with offering flexible paid leave benefits, employers should look for ways in which they can increase and expand child and healthcare coverage and subsidies for working parents. This may include providing childcare coverage to all parents with children up to the age of 18 years, as recommended by the World Economic Forum, or even offering subsidized on-site childcare. Moreover, many health and gender equality experts have underlined the need for more expansive coverage of essential services, from prenatal visits and mammograms to genetic screenings, diagnostic testing, and hospital visits, advising that employers should seek to provide comprehensive insurance plans that cover all pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum care, as well as mental health care and other services essential to protecting women's holistic health and well-being. On that note, in order to optimize the flexibility and comprehensiveness of their benefits package, it cannot be stressed enough the benefits that partnering with holistic well-being providers can offer to both employees and their workplace. As I mentioned earlier, the state of one's employment while pregnant or caregiving can have a ubiquitous impact on virtually all other health determinants, from their ability to access health and childcare, to their ability to access nutritious foods to feed their families, or even to their ability to make housing and utility payments in order to keep a roof over their heads. Changes to one's employment or income status can have a detrimental effect on the state of their physical, psychological, and spiritual health. As a result of these perceived threats, Studies indicate that working mothers experience burnout at significantly higher rates than their peers, struggle with work-life balance issues more than their peers, and find it harder to open up about such challenges at work, and are much more likely to experience mental illness. Holistic well-being programs are proven to help working mothers stay on their feet and manage their maternal and career responsibilities through the synergistic support of services like return-to-work or stay-at-home programs, work-life or wellness coaching, counselors or crisis response intervention, mindfulness programs, and more. Through these programs, working parents are given the opportunity to work one-on-one with culturally competent counselors, clinicians, and coaches who are able to meet with them wherever they are and collaborate with them on strategies that will help them to thrive in their personal and professional lives. This can include helping them to locate childcare services or in-network pediatric services in their area, or working with them on establishing personal visions for themselves, determining professional and personal goals, 
including time, financial, and family management goals, and creating action plans needed to turn these goals into a reality. More importantly, this can also include providing emotional support necessary for helping working parents manage their feelings of stress, anxiety, fear, frustration, and all other emotions commonly felt during periods of change or big life transitions. And lastly, it can include equipping them with strategies needed to help them return to work in their own time and in a way that will help them to perform at their best and continue to grow professionally, even as their family and home responsibilities increase. And not only do these programs help to improve employee well-being, but they have also been proven to greatly improve organizational outcomes as well. A whole panoply of studies show that employee well-being programs can greatly improve retention, reduce costs associated with work-related illness or injury, increase worker output and profitability, and improve overall morale and engagement. Studies also suggest that employers can make a return on investment of anywhere from 2 to more than $5 for every dollar they invest in support programs. And by investing in comprehensive programs, employers prove to the workers that they care about their health, safety, and well-being, and in return, workers are shown to be more loyal, more committed, and more likely to stay on with their employer and for the long term. This is especially the case for pregnant workers or new mothers who can take comfort in the fact that their employer supports not only their career ambitions, but their personal ambitions as well. The only catch, however, is that current research suggests that employers are not doing enough to raise awareness about the programs available to their employees, nor are they doing enough to promote their use. In fact, while about 90% of employers in the U.S. offer a holistic well-being program, only a quarter of employers currently use their C-level executives to get the word out, and more than half agree that low awareness is what contributes to low utilization of their programs. That said, in conjunction with these policy changes, or changes to their benefits packages, there are also key cultural changes that employers need to make in order to provide effectual support to their female workers, starting with how employers lead and communicate. This includes having senior management leading the charge to communicate what supports are available to their workers, and by having women leaders speak to their own experiences with work-life balance issues and the help they might have received through their employer's well-being program. In fact, having women in leadership who have personally and publicly taken advantage of such services is especially important in order to reduce the stigma surrounding help-seeking especially for female workers who are all too familiar with the consequences of being perceived as weak, incompetent, unprofessional, or less than, for seeking help or for simply speaking out about the issues they might be dealing with at work or at home. To ensure that workers feel safe and, moreover, empowered to take advantage of the benefits and help available to them, employers need to go one step beyond communicating what is available to their employees and instead put in the effort to connect one-on-one with their workers to ask how they are, what their needs are, if they know what's available to them, and if they need any help accessing them. This can look like reaching out to employees to ensure that they are educated on the prenatal services or family planning support that's available to them, making sure that new parents are taking advantage of nutritional or physical wellness coaching to ensure that both mother and baby are eating properly, and working to establish an overall environment that not only encourages but incentivizes female workers to prioritize their well-being however means necessary. One of the most important cultural changes that employers can make, however, is ensuring that their female workers are involved in every step of the process when it comes to deciding what services, accommodations, policies, and amendments to the physical workplace itself will be most helpful for them. In fact, without putting in the effort to track employee well-being or collect feedback, 
there is no way for employers to drive accountability, ultimately resulting in paternalistic avenues of support that no one takes advantage of and no one benefits from. Thus, it's important that employers routinely conduct employee surveys or bring in focus groups or established panels to give their female employees the opportunity to express what's currently working for them, what isn't, and what they need most from their employers in order to thrive in the workplace and beyond. And in line with employee involvement, the best cultural changes that employers can make in order to exhibit support for their female workforce is ensuring that their policies against issues like pregnancy discrimination, sexual harassment, gendered care and employment gaps, and all other challenges that women face in the office are backed up with action. Whether this action includes creating private rooms for breastfeeding or small rooms for children to play in if their parents need to bring them in to work for the day, speaking explicitly about sexual harassment at work and taking the appropriate actions against alleged and convicted perpetrators, or by boasting fair and equal representation of women and working mothers in the C-suite, ultimately, the best action for an employer to take will be that which restores agency, autonomy, and equal opportunity to women in the workplace. And most importantly, that which gives power to their voices and fortifies their right to bodily integrity. And with that comes the end of our podcast on how employers can improve and expand on their support for their female workers in 2023. For more information on what benefits are becoming most sought after by current and prospective employees, check out our article on Looking Ahead, Employee Benefits Trends to Watch in 2023, as well as our article on Supporting Employee Caregivers, posted under the blog section of the WPO website. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in.